Yeah, man, it's good to be with you guys here today. I'm just, I'm going to start by praying, okay? Is that cool? Okay. God, you are holy, 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 like we just sang. And God, we just, we want to know you. I think about it all the time, the fact that every one of us is going to die sometime. And when we die, we're either going to bring nothing with us or one thing with us. And, and you are the only thing we can bring with us, Jesus. So I just pray that we would be a body full of people that cling to you, um, that run to you every day of our life. And right now, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come. Come and be in this space. Come and fill this room. Come and speak to people. And this is, this is about you. So I pray you would be glorified through what we're doing here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. So you might not know this, but God, the God of the universe, is looking, searching for a specific type of person. Did you know that? Does that sound surprising? That God's looking for a specific type of person? Well, he is, okay? John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 um, Jesus is interacting with this woman at a well, and you're going to hear Grant tell the full story here in a few months, so I'm not going to get into that. But this is what he says. He says to this woman, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is searching for a specific type of person, and the specific type of person God's searching for is, is worshipers. God is searching and looking for worshipers, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about, about worship, and I, I am passionate about worship, and it isn't because I lead worship. I don't play any instruments. You've never seen me up here on a Sunday morning or a, an evening worship night singing or playing music. I, I don't do that, right, but I'm passionate about worship, and the reason why is because God has radically changed my life through worship. Over the past eight years that I've been following Jesus, some of the most powerful moments I've ever had are in worship. Some of the most profound things that I've ever heard God say to me, he said to me in moments of worship. So I'm passionate about worship, and I'm passionate about our church growing in the spiritual discipline of worship. You've heard last week Aaron talk about service, and the week before we talked about studying the word. Um, Worship is a spiritual discipline. So that's what we're going to be getting into today. And it's going to be a simple message. Last time I preached, I, s I said I'm a simple guy, and people thought that was funny. I've had, like, multiple people say that to me, like, it's funny you said you're a simple guy. I'm a simple guy, okay? It's going to be a simple message. It's going to be a really simple message. We're just going to be talking about worship. Uh, and we're, we're really going to press into the idea of musical worship, okay, the spiritual discipline of worshiping, worshiping God musically. But before we do that, I need to explain that, that worship is way more than just music. Okay, worship is something that we do with our life. We all, as humans, were created with the function of worship. Something that I, I've heard multiple people say from the stage is, is that you don't have a choice on whether or not to worship. You do have a choice, however, when, when it comes to what you worship. We all are worshipers. You're a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. We were created with the function of worship. Um, but the object of our worship is up to us. Uh, the, the Greek word that the Bible uses for worship, it's, it's an interesting word. It's proskunio. Okay, it's used over 60 times. And it literally means to bow down or to kiss the ground when prostrating before a superior. That's the word worship, proskunio, to bow down or to kiss the ground when prostrating before a superior. So we all do that towards something. Every one of us bows down towards something. Every one of us has something enthroned on our life. Okay, I've never, I've never seen the movie Mulan. Someone uh, made fun of me a few weeks ago for not having seen that movie. But there's this picture, right? There's these people, and, and these individuals are, are bowing down before the feet of these people. I don't know the plot. I don't know what's going on in the scene. I'm sure some of you do, and you could explain it. But um, this is proscunio right here. Your life... Every one of you, your life does this to something, okay? Maybe it's God, maybe it's money, maybe it's success or sex or relationships. I don't know, but your life does that to something, okay? So what, is it, what does it do it to? What does your life do that to? I think for our, in our culture, the day and age we live in, it's, it's comfort. 
I think we bow down to the feet of comfort more often than we, than we bow down to the feet of Jesus. We are obsessed with comfort, right? And h- how do I know that? I, I know that because speaking for, from my own life, it's like how often when God asks me to do something challenging or scary and I choose to say no and I choose the path of comfort over the path of obedience. When I do that, whose feet am I bowing down to? Comforts or Jesus's? Comforts, right? I'm bowing down to the feet of comfort. Maybe it's something else for you. Like I said, success. Maybe it's other people's op- opinions of you. Maybe other people's opinion of you is, is the God in your life that you bow down and worship. And the thing is, what you worship with your life shapes who you become. Every one of us is becoming someone. You ever think about that? Like, y- you right now are not who you're going to be in 10 years. In 10 years, you're, you're going to be a lot different than you are now. And what you worship shapes who you are going to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 and 18 explains this idea. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there's a a part in the middle there that I love. It says, beholding the glory of the Lord, you're transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You could plug in the word worship there, or proscunio, or as you bow down at the feet of the Lord, you're transformed into the same image. What you worship shapes who you become. If you worship the God of comfort in your life, what's that going to lead to? It's it's going to lead to you being self-centered and spiritually passive. That's what the God of comfort shapes in us, right? But as we, as we proscunio Jesus, King Jesus, he shapes us into something. And what he shapes us into is, is individuals that look a whole lot like him, right? What you worship shapes who you become. So those are just a few really important, like, groundwork kind of things that I wanted to talk about with worship. It's so much more than just music, okay? Worship is, is, is something that you do with your life. But I want to I transition into talking about musical worship. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. And I have three, like I said, I'm passionate about worship. There, I, I was like, it was so hard trying to figure out what do I want to talk about today? What do I feel like I'm supposed to talk about today? I could probably preach like a six-part sermon series on worship because there's just so much. But as I was praying, I felt like God just really wanted me to keep it simple and to give you guys some, like, really, really simple things. But I think if we grip, grip onto these things, they will actually change the way that we engage with God in musical worship. They're really important. So I'm just going to talk about three principles, okay? And I don't, I don't usually, uh, I've preached a handful of times. I don't, I've never used any, like, mnemonic devices, but I'm going to do it. So I'm going to talk about three principles, and here's what they are. They're, they're priorities in worship, power in worship, and postures of worship. Okay, priorities, power, postures. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pull three different stories from Scripture. I'm going to read them. And I think that we can learn valuable lessons about priorities, power, and posture when it comes to worship from each of these three stories. So let's do it. Um, First story, Acts chapter 16, verse 25 through 34. In this story, Paul and Silas are in prison. Uh, Earlier in the chapter, this kind of weird thing happens where they they try to go somewhere um, because they're missionaries. And the Holy Spirit redirects them. I don't know what that, I don't know how that worked, but somehow the Holy Spirit redirected them. So they're trying to go to a new place. The Holy Spirit redirects them. He prevents them from going there. And he takes them somewhere else. And where he takes them, they end up in prison. Okay? And that's, that's where we're picking up here in Acts chapter 16. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened when the jailer woke and saw that the prisoner prison doors were open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped but paul cried with a loud voice do not harm yourself for we are all here and the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear he fell down before paul and silas Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Okay, cool story. So Paul and Silas are in prison. What do they do in prison? Probably not what I would do in prison. They're worshiping and praying, singing hymns about midnight. Okay, if it's midnight and I'm in prison, I'm probably going to be sleeping. But they're not. They're worshiping, they're praising, singing hymns to God. And then something crazy happens. An earthquake comes, their chains fall off, the prison doors open. I would I'd be out of there, right? If I'm in prison and the doors open, I'm out of there. But no, they stay for some reason. And they end up saving this jailer who's about to commit suicide because he's thinking, if the people in charge of me see that these prisoners escaped on my watch, I'm as good as dead. So let's just do the job myself, right? And, and they end up leading him to Jesus, and he gets saved and baptized. So what does this have any, anything to do with worship? Um, I, I think that this actually has a lot to say about our priorities in worship, okay? So for most of us, when we come into an, an environment where we're worshiping, we are our main priority, right? Because we're, we're, we're always our main priority. We're always thinking about ourselves. So when we step into a space where we're worshiping, that usually s- stays that way. We're usually thinking about ourselves. That is not the case for Paul and Silas. If Paul and Silas's first priority was themselves, they wouldn't be worshiping in prison, They'd probably be frustrated that the Holy Spirit redirected their path multiple times to get them to a spot where they wound up in prison. But no, they didn't blame God because of the circumstances they were in. They worshiped God in spite of the circumstances they were in because he was their priority. So God has to be our first priority in worship. What's their second priority? Once again, it's not themselves. If their second priority was themselves, they would have bolted the, the minute that the prison doors opened. But they don't. They stick around. And they end up having compassion on the guy who was guarding them in prison. That's kind of crazy. And then I would say lastly, lastly, their priority was probably themselves. And we usually get it switched. Usually our first priority in worship is ourselves. We're just thinking about what we're feeling, what we're not feeling. We're maybe hoping that God does something for us. Maybe we're totally not thinking about worship at all. We're just fixed on other stuff that we have going on the rest of the day. And then maybe we're, we're thinking about other people, but we're, like, worried about what other people will think if they see us raise our hands or sing loud or whatever. It's, total, it's totally different. Paul and Silas had God as their first priority, people as their second priority, and then themselves as their, as their third priority. When we come into worship thinking about ourselves, what we're doing is we're robbing God of his glory. We're making something that's supposed to be about him, about us. What it would be like is me watching a Browns game, watching them win, and then taking credit for it. That's stupid. I didn't do anything, right? That, that isn't about me. Me watching them win a game and then thinking that I did something about that is silly, okay? When we come into worship thinking about ourselves, we're robbing God of his glory. Your life is not about you. It's about Jesus. He's the one who gave you life. And so if your life isn't about you, your worship definitely isn't supposed to be about you. I I really love listening to Francis Chan, and I I don't know if this was like a real conversation he had or like a hypothetical conversation he had, but I was listening to him preach once, and he was talking about a conversation with a woman uh, after a church service, and she's like, yeah, I don't really, I didn't really like the worship today, and he stopped her and was like, that's all right, we weren't worshiping you. And I love that. Right? We're not, you're not, we're not worshiping you. We're worshiping Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about what you like or don't like. It's about him. Right? And if he receives glory and honor, then it's successful. Okay? The other principle that we see here in this story is, is freedom. Right? Freedom comes when they worship. And this is a little confusing. I, I, and what I'm not saying is that, like, if there's an area in your life where you need freedom, you sing a couple songs, and all of a sudden all your problems are going to go away. I'm not saying that. I I actually doubt that Paul and Silas were thinking about being set free while they were worshiping. I don't think that was on their mind. I don't think they were saying to each other, hey, let's sing a few songs. If we sing a few songs, then God's going to bust these prison doors open. I don't think they cared about that. I think that they were just men that were utterly captivated by the goodness of God. 
and their love for Jesus was bigger than the discomfort of being in a jail cell. And so they chose to worship. But when they worshiped, something happened. And when we worship, something happens. As we enthrone God and develop a heart that longs for the worship of our king, he will bring freedom into your life. I've experienced it myself. It's true. It's just what he does. So that kind of brings me to my next principle of, of power, right? Power for freedom and victory in worship. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into another story. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 18 through 23. So uh, in this story, God's people who, who are led by King Jehoshaphat are like in a pinch, okay? Their, their enemies are threatening them, and their enemies are way more powerful than them. And they're not really sure what to do. Um, and that's, wh- that's where we pick up here. King Jehoshaphat comes with some solutions. Here's what it says, starting in verse 18. It says, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, God, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And as they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, And when they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he is taking counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped destroy one another. Crazy story. That's such a weird story. So what's going on here? Like I said, they're in a pinch. They don't know what to do. And so they come up with this solution. Well, King Jehoshaphat, I mean, they worship, one. They don't know what to do, so they worship. And then they're they're kind of commissioned by their king to believe the Lord. Like, trust him. Trust God. He's going to get us out of this. Like, just believe in him. And and it doesn't say that, like, God told them the strategy that they were supposed to do. But I kind of believe that this is a God strategy. Because what human in their right mind would send worship leaders out into battle first? That doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. So he commissions them to believe God, and then he presents this strategy. Yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to send the worshipers out. Okay, we're going to send the worshipers out, and we're just, we're going to see what happens. And so they do it, and God comes through, right? All their enemies start fighting against each other, and they all die. And then God's people are like, what, whoa, this worked. Like, we're, we're free. Like, our enemies are defeated. God routed them, and we're, we're free. And I think that's so profound. Like, I, I think that freedom and victory come through worship. There is power in worship. And as I was reading this story this week, I, I just asked myself the question, why did this work? Why did this ridiculous strategy work? And I, I have two reasons. One is simple. It's because it's what God told them to do. And when God tells us to do something, it, us- it works, okay? Like when, when we're faced with a situation and God gives us a solution and we walk it out, it's going to work. So that's one reason, pretty simple. But the second reason, I believe, is, is that when we choose to worship in the face of adversity, it communicates that we trust and need God. I think that when King Jehoshaphat and all of his people went towards worship and then they decided, let's send out the worshipers first, man, I think that moved the heart of God. I think that moved the heart of God because he saw people that were totally, completely dependent on him. They didn't go out with their tambourines and their harps and swords, right? They, they went out with their instruments and they're worshiping God. And it's like when God sees that, he's like, oh, my goodness, my people trust me. My people trust me. I'm, I'm going to come through for them. I'm going to fight on their behalf. And, guys, I think it's true for us. Like when, when something difficult is in front of you or temptation is in front of you or tragedy or loss is in front of you and you you choose to engage in worship what does that say to god it tells him that you trust him and that you need him his solutions are so much different than man's solutions right man like there's a proverb that says there's a way that seems right to man but its end is destruction the way that seems right to man 
when you stack it up against God's solution, it's usually very different. Like, you, you look at some of the things God does in Scripture, like uh, when, when he tells his people to march around Jericho and blow a horn and the walls fall down. That's just stupid. Why would that ever, why, marching around a city and blowing a horn is not going to make walls fall down. We serve a powerful God. And the, the Bible is full of, like, story after story after story where he gives people a solution that doesn't make that much sense to them, but when they do it, he comes through. And I think, for one, that's why we really need to learn how to listen to God. We need to be a people that know how to listen to God. Ma- making this personal from my life, I, I had a, have had a long history with sexual sin and was addicted to porn since I was a little kid. And um, even after I got saved, I continued to wrestle with that for a few years. And, dude, it was a brutal, like, it sucked. That was, like, the thing in my life that, that I just so wanted to get free from. Um, it felt like that was a, a big emphasis type thing in my relationship with God. Uh, he was always working on me when it came to sexual sin. And, and a couple years into me following Jesus, I started to un- understand the power of worship. God started to give me revelation about worship. And, and what he started to do, the Holy Spirit started to lead me to, when I was experiencing temptation, to worship. Right? There's times where, where when I was living at the Love Shack, I would, like, I'd be down in the living room. I'd be so struggling and feeling tempted towards sin. And, and I'd go down in the living room. I'd, I'd blast some worship music on. I'd just start dancing by myself in the living room of the Love Shack, okay? I've done that, right? Like, there's times where I'm, I'm just so struggling with temptation, feel that, like, I'm just in a battle, in a battle. And God just prompts me. He's like, just worship me, right? And I'll get, I'll get down on the floor, put my head on the ground, and just worship him. And he brings freedom and victory when we worship because he's powerful and he wants to see that his people trust him. We're in a spiritual battle, right? There's a spiritual battle that, that kind of happens in us and there's also a spiritual battle that happens around us. And worship is a war tactic. It is powerful. You can fight temptation with worship. When you're suffering, worship. When you're stressed, worship. When you feel far from God, worship. I ha- this past week, I had like, I'm a low-stress person. I was stressed this week. There are just some things that happen. I'm not going to explain them, but I was really stressed at the beginning of this week. Like, probably more stressed than I've been in, in months. And I, I don't think it's by chance. I think it's because I'm preaching on this right now. But um, worship. Like, worship was how I fought that battle. And it worked. Because God's real. And he's powerful. So we're in a spiritual battle. Let's, let's use worship as a weapon when we fight in that spiritual battle. Some of my favorite moments in the past eight years of doing ministry here at UC um, have been when I'm with some of y'all outside on campus praising Jesus. I just, I love that so much because, like the plunge. Oh my gosh, I love that because I see people walk by and it's like people hear us and the devil hears us and we're just, we're just praising God because he's worthy to be enthroned on this campus. And I think that's so powerful, like times when we've gotten to do that. I think the devil so hates that because he has a stronghold here. But when we just walk right into the middle of that stronghold and we praise Jesus, dude, I think it makes him shudder. <laughs> so there's, there's power for freedom and victory in our worship. I want to get into this third principle, postures. There's postures in the way that we worship. You might be like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, I'll explain. So the story I want to use to uh, talk about this principle is the story of David bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. So what had happened is that the, the Ark of the Covenant was this thing that, like, hosted the presence of God. Where the ark was, God was, okay? And the ark had been lost in battle. And uh, it's kind of funny, actually. The people that the ark ended up with started to, like, suffer a ton, get boils, and they were getting sick. And I don't remember all of what happened, but, like, they, they were, it wasn't going well. And it's because God didn't want his ark to be with these people. He wanted his ark to be with his people, okay? So, um... They're like, dude, we got to get rid of this thing. So they get rid of the ark, and it ends up at the house of this guy named Obed-Edom, okay? Obed-Edom, what a name. I'm going to name my son Obed-Edom. Um, just kidding. So the, the ark ends up with this, this guy, Obed-Edom, and, uh, and then here's what happens. So 2 Samuel chapter 6, 12 through 23. It was told King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom, all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. 
And when those who, who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. I'm going to read that again. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David in the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among the people of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house, and David returned to bless his own household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child till the day of her death. Whoa. So one quick thing. David was not naked here. He wasn't like, some people like misread the scripture and they think David was naked or something. It, it says that he, he, he put on a, an ephod, which is like a priestly garment. Okay, so what he did is he took off his king garments. He humbled himself and he put on priestly garments to praise God in, right? And his wife didn't like this. She, she was like, You're, this is embarrassing. And what does David say? He's like, I will be even more contemptible than this. Some translations say, I like this translation more, I will be even more undignified than this. I love that word. David was like, I will lose my dignity if it means glory and honor to God. I will be even more undignified than this if it means praise to God. And if, if I'm abased in your eyes, that's fine. I don't care. Why? Because his priority wasn't himself. It was God. His priority wasn't what his wife thought of him. It was God. So the king did something kings don't do. Kings, kings don't shamelessly dance in non-king clothes in front of their people. But David didn't care. Because it wasn't about him. His number one priority was God. And, and the reason I want to use this scripture to talk about postures of worship or postures of praise is, is for that verse. Verse 22, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I'll make myself even more undignified than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. God has, has laid out for us in scripture a variety of different ways. I have nine. We're going to go through nine real quick. Um, a variety of different ways for us to worship him. And if you are obsessed with and holding on to your own dignity, you're not going to dance before God because that's embarrassing. Right? But God, there are commands in Scripture to dance to God in worship. Commands. Okay? And we're going to go through some of those things. So David got this, man. He was a man after God's heart. I, my, my hunch is that when God looked down at David and saw him dancing in front of his people, not caring what his wife thought, I think that made God smile. I think God loved that. I think he loved it. And I think that when we are undignified, when we worship, when we lay aside what we're worried about people thinking, and we worship God the way that he's laid out for us in scripture to worship him, I think it makes him smile. I think he loves it, okay? So postures of praise, let's, let's do this. First one, singing. This is pretty simple. We do this every Sunday. Hopefully you sing. Hopefully you don't stand there like a statue. Hopefully you sing. Singing. Singing is a way that God wants you to worship him. Psalm 105 verse 2 says, sing to him. There you go. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Psalm 98.1 says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. There you go. Sing to the Lord a new song. And I have, by the way, if you like need more scripture than what I'm going to give you for these nine postures of praise, pra praise, ask me. I have probably ten for each one. 
I just don't want to read through 90 scriptures. That would take a long time. Um, so why? Why does God want us to worship him in song? I, I believe it's because song is powerful, right? Song is something that's been a part of human culture for as long as human cultures existed, right? It's powerful. Song is influential, right? We're influenced by music. And, and I, can't, I can't totally explain, right? It's a, it's a spiritual thing, but I think that when we, when we sing, use our voice that God gave us to sing to the God who made us, I think it's, it's just powerful, and he loves it. Worship is the activity of heaven. Connor talked about that, and we sang about that this morning. God commands us to worship him in song. Next one, and there's no, like, order with any of this. I'm just kind of going through. Um, playing of instruments. Verse 15, uh, in the Second Samuel scripture, it says, So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. They were blowing horns. Worshiping God with instruments. Um, Psalm 149, verse 2 through 3 says, Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. Tambourine and lyre. So uh, there you go. I mean, there's two scriptures. We're commanded to worship God with instruments. We do that on Sundays. I think we, we get that, right? I, why does God like when we worship him with instruments? I, I've... There's probably a ton of reasons. The one that came to my mind is that God's creative. And God gives people creative giftings. And when we use our creative giftings to bring him glory and honor, he just, he likes it. Right? So let's do it. Simple. Okay, next one. Shouting. Shouting. Psalm 35, 27 says, Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servants. I delight in the righteousness of my God. So I'm going to shout for joy, right? Like Psalm 66, 1 through 2 says, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Why is, why is shouting uh, a way in which God wants to be worshipped? When the Cleveland Browns score a touchdown, so I'm talking about the Browns multiple times in a sermon. It's kind of embarrassing. But when the Cleveland Browns score a touchdown, you know what I do without thinking about it? I shout. I, I throw my hands up in the air, and I shout. That's just what happens. I don't think about it. It's just kind of hardwired into us, right? It, it's it's a, an, like a, a way to celebrate. It's a way to, to show excitement. And, and if the stupid Cleveland Browns score a touchdown and it makes me shout, when I'm like singing a song about Jesus rising from the dead, do you know how much more exciting that is? How much more worthy that is of a shout than a stupid football team scoring a touchdown. Man, he's worthy. We shout about all kinds of things. I was, I was talking with Zach on, on Sunday, and we were just talking about my sermon. He said something I'm going to steal from him. I, I long for the day when our Sunday morning services look like our Super Bowl party. Why, why shouldn't it? Right? Like, is Jesus not more worthy than a sports team? I can, I can think of times where I was at, like, a concert, and I'm just, I'm watching these guys on a stage, and everyone's just going wild, and I will, in those moments, I'm like, man, this is what heaven's going to be like. Jesus is so much more worthy than these people, right? He's so much more worthy than, <laughs> than the things that we get excited about. And man, when we see him, like we were singing in that second song, like when we see him, it's all going to make sense. Like we're going we're gonna to get it immediately. We're going to be like, dang, man, I, I didn't know you were this good. But he is. Like I swear to you, he is so much better than, what, than, than however good you think he is. So, man, give me some water. Sorry. <laughs> but I do, guys, I, I long for the day when... Our worship services look like our Super Bowl party because Jesus is worthy. Okay, so next one. Lifting our hands. Lifting our hands. Psalm 134, verse 2 says, Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. <laughs> so straightforward. Lift up your hands to the holy place. Bless the Lord. I like obeying Jesus. Do you guys like obeying God? Yeah? Here you go. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. It's a command. It's not a recommendation. It's a command. 
if you like obeying God, here's a command, okay? Psalm 63, verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So why? Why, does, why is lifting our hands the way God wants us to worship him? I'm stealing this from someone I heard uh, teach it like five years ago. Um, when in the human experience do we lift up our hands? There's probably a lot. Yeah, touchdown. There you go. Celebration. Um, if you've done something illegal and a cop comes up to you, what do they say? Hands up, right? It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of surrender. When a small child is, is running up to their father, when Anya runs up to Grant, what does she do? Dada, right? It's a sign of, like, need and want, okay? In, in celebration, like Ethan said, thanks, good job. Touchdown, celebration. It's a sign of surrender, a sign of need, a sign of celebration, and probably a sign of a lot of other good stuff. But when we, when we, when we lift our hands up to God, we're saying something to him. We're saying, God, I need you. God, I, you're worthy. God, I celebrate you. Next one, lying prostrate on the floor. Not, I told Cassie, not prostate, prostrate. I mix those words up. I mix those words up, and they're not the same thing. Okay. Lying prostrate on the floor. <laughs> uh, Revelation 7-11. I think Connor read this this morning actually it says and all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped god and there's tons of scriptures that say the same thing but they fell on their faces and they worshiped god it's almost like there's tons of examples in scripture where god shows up or the angel of the lord shows up and and this is just what happens people just hit the floor and it's it's like they they're not even they're not like, oh, I should probably, God's worthy, I should probably get on the ground. No, it's like they just drop. And, and it's because what I cried and said a minute ago, like when we see him, man, we're going to do that same exact thing because he's so good. Lying prostrate on the floor, what, what does this communicate? It communicates submission. Think of like, uh, you ever see dogs playing? And uh, like the dominant dog, the, the submissive dog kind of rolls over on its back before the dominant dog. I think this is kind of how it is in worship. Like, I think of moments that I've had, some of the most powerful moments I've had in worship are when my face is on the floor. And I just am able to see God for who he really is. And he just wrecks me. Laying prostrate on the floor is a, is a sign of total, complete submission. Three more. Okay, kneeling or bowing. Next one, kneeling or bowing. Well, that's actually the word proscunio I talked about in the beginning. It literally means to, to, to kneel or bow. Um, this word, this, this posture, kneeling or bowing, Psalm 95, verse 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee should bow at the name of Jesus in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Kneeling or bowing communicates respect and honor. When you... Back in the day, Mulan days, whatever, you come before a king or a prince or something, you kneel and bow. This is what you do. It's a sign of respect and honor. Standing. This one's simple. We do this every Sunday when we worship. Standing is a posture of praise. Psalm 134.1 says, Come, let us bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Psalm 135 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praises, O servant of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Why do we stand when we worship? We stand because it's a sign of respect. Okay, if, if I'm sitting down and, and someone walks in a room and I want to respect them, I stand up. I shake their hand. I don't just, like, slump, right? It's, it's a sign of respect. And we, we communicate with God in our bodies. Right? We communicate with God in our words and our singing and our body, the what, like our body language, all of it. Okay, last one, dancing. This one might make people uncomfortable, but I, I don't care. Um, dancing, verse 14 in the second Samuel scripture, it says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. This wasn't just like, <laughs> with all his might. That's the part that gets me. David, this wasn't just like David casually like jumping up and down. David is dancing before God like a fool. With all of his might. Psalm 150 verse 4 says, praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipes. 
Why should we dance before God? It's celebration. I've been to three weddings this summer, and every one of them, we dance because we're celebrating something. Is not King Jesus worth celebrating? Yes. So it is appropriate to dance before God because he's worthy of being celebrated. I uh, have been taking people to, to Raleigh, North Carolina for the past like five years, I think, in December. Um, we do like a little spiritual retreat there. And the first year that we went was like probably three of the most impactful days of my life. Um, I didn't know anything about worship going into that trip. And um, there was this night where like, dude, people just got set free from stuff. People confessed things that they never really confessed to anyone before. God, it just felt like God's presence was there with us. And it was emotional. It was powerful. It was just, it was so powerful. And I remember it's about midnight and I look at my brother and I'm like, what, man, what should we do? And he's like, let's have a dance party. And we, uh, <laughs> we go down into the basement and they have kids. They have like two or three kids at this time. And, and he just blasts some music and none of us have ever done this before, but we're, he, he explains to us like Jesus is worthy. And so we just, just start going wild. It's like we were having a party and, um, man, it was just so, it was so powerful. And after like 30 minutes, Everyone just was on the floor, like weeping, crying before God, because he was there. And uh, yeah, man, dancing, dancing before God, powerful, it's really powerful. It's a posture of praise. So those are the nine things. I think there's a list. If you missed some of them, you can write them down. But um, my question is, why do we shy away from these things? Why do we shy away from the, the different ways that God invites us to worship him in Scripture? There's probably a lot of reasons. I have, I have three. One, we didn't know we were supposed to. Maybe, maybe the environment you grew up in was not a worshipful environment. I've been in churches where it's like we're singing songs, we're not worshiping God. I've, I've been there, right? Everyone's just a statue, stoic, just listening, watching. And it's like, are we, are we doing any of these things that he lays out for us? Maybe it's the environment you grew up in. Um, maybe you didn't know you were supposed to worship God in these ways. Second thing, I think we're a lot of times too worried about what people think. Which back to the priority list. Are, are people's opinions our first priority in worship? No. God is our first priority in worship. And then the, the third reason, I think this is probably the biggest one. Why do we not engage with these different ways of, of worshiping God, I think it's because we're too led by our feelings. We're too led by our feelings. In worship, it's a lot better to be led by the Spirit than your feelings. Okay? Your, your feelings don't need to agree with your worship. Does that make sense? Like, there's times where I come in here and I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel it. I, f I just feel fake. I feel, like, distracted by other stuff. I heard someone say this one time, and it's always stuck with me. When you come into a space of worship, and you feel fake, you don't feel anything, and you choose to engage with God in worship anyways, you choose to put your hands up in the air anyways because he's worthy, that isn't fake, it's faith. It isn't fake, it's faith. God has laid out for us ways to worship him in scripture, and he doesn't say, when your feelings agree, you can, you can praise him with tambourine and dance and praise him with strings or sing. I actually believe that the worship that pleases God the most is the worship when we, that we engage in when we feel it the least. I had um, back in like December, January, there was like a month where uh, I was in like three different worship environments outside of like Sunday mornings, but just three different like worship night type environments. And for whatever, and they were like powerful. They like felt like God was moving, he's doing stuff. And all three times, I don't get headaches ever, but I just had like just pounding migraine in my head, like to the point where I if I move, my head hurts. And um, it was hard. It was really hard to, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel goosebumps, didn't feel the butterfly. I didn't feel anything. All I, all I felt like was I want to be in my bed. <laughs> Uh, but I, ch I was like, I'm just going to worship God because he's worthy. And if it hurts my head, it's fine. He's worthy. And uh, as I was doing that, I just just sensed that he kind of put on me like, this, this pleases me so much that you're doing this right now. 
you don't need to feel anything. You don't, don't be led by your feelings in worship. Be led by the spirit and be led by truth. After all, God's searching for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so application. Let's, let's wrap this thing up. Um, application. <coughs> I want to talk about h- how to apply what we've been talking about in corporate settings and in private settings. This is going to be really simple. Um, so when we gather as a church, h- how do we respond in obedience to the things that I've been talking about this morning? Get your priorities straight. I, I heard someone teach on that priority list in worship is, is God, others, and self, like, so long ago, and it has just stuck with me. And every, every time I come in here, I have to preach that to myself. God, this isn't about me. This is about you. You are my highest priority. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what I look like. This is about you. So help me to worship you in the way that you want to be worshipped. I, I, ha- I have to do that every time I come into worship or else I just get distracted and I get focused on other stuff. So get your priorities straight in worship. When you come into this space, God is your priority. We, we don't meet as a church for you, right? Like when, when Grant and different people get up here and preach, you know that, that we, as I'm talking to you, I don't care about what you think of this. I, I'm not trying to please you. This is, I'm trying to please God. Like, this church, when we meet on Sundays, when we meet on Thursdays, it isn't about us. It's about him. And the cool thing is, when it's all about him, he provides for us. He gives us what we need. He comes through. So get your priorities straight in worship. Next, when we gather corporately, be obedient to worship him in the way, the ways that we see him worshiped in scripture. I'm not saying you need to do all nine of these things at the same time. That'd be impossible. You can't, you can't be kneeling and lying prostrate on the floor at the same time. Those are op- different body postures. You can't, do, you can't do all of these things at the same time. I'm not saying that for the entirety of the worship set, you need to have your hands up in the air. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is be open to worshiping God the ways that he's laid out in Scripture. If the reason you've never lifted your hands in worship is because you're worried about how you might look to people, you're just, you're being prideful. (laughs) That's what it is. You're being prideful. It isn't about other people. It isn't about you. It's about him. And then the third application, I, I haven't really talked about this one yet, but I think it's really important. I felt like God wanted me to share it. Listen to God as you're worshiping him. So much of the time, I think the reason why we don't hear from God is because our focus just isn't on him. So when I come into a worship environment and my focus is on him, there's a chance he's going to say something to me or put a conviction on my heart or even prompt me to go pray for someone over there, you know. So listen, be open to him. Listen to him as you're, as you're engaging in worship when we gather as a church. Private settings. How do we obey what, what we've been talking about today in private settings? Two things. Once again, worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped when you're by yourself. Your, your time with God doesn't have to only explicitly look like you studying the Bible for 30 minutes. Right? There's so many ways to spend time with God, and worship is one of them. Worship is one of them. There's times where I, I, I read my Bible every single day, and I, I'll, I'll come before God, though, and um, I'll just spend like the first 20, 30 minutes worshiping I'll, I'll, I'll come up with my own song and I'll sing or I'll, I'll put headphones in and I'll listen to another like a worship song and I'll just really try to get my priorities straight set my attention on Jesus and I've encountered him in s- s- like so many times that way so when you're worshiping by or when you're by yourself worship God in the ways that, that we've explained here in the scriptures and then the next how, how do you obey what We've been talking about this morning in private settings. Fight your battles with worship. Fight your battles with worship. I already spent a lot of time on that, but it's, it's powerful. Worship team, you can come up. Um, I work with uh, recovering drug addicts. I feel like I use stories from my time at Exodus when I preach all the time. But a few months ago, I was there, and um, the guy who works like the day there and oversees what the guys in the program are doing. His name's Josh, and he's really cool. I've learned a lot from him. 
And he was telling me that, that every other Friday he started bringing the guys from the recovery program to his church for worship. They do worship nights every Friday. And these guys are rough guys. I mean, they're in and out of prison. They have history with, long history with addiction. A lot of them have committed some pretty bad crimes. And, and he brings them into his church every other Friday for these worship nights. And he said something to me that just stuck with me. As soon as he said it, I was like, I'm never going to forget that. He said, there's things that God wants to do in these guys' lives that's only going to happen in worship. So I'm, I, they need to be in settings like that. And I was like, dang, man, that's so true. That's true for me. Like, there's things God wants to do in my life, and it's only going to happen in and through worship. There's things God wants to do in your lives that are on, it's only going to happen in worship. And I, I believe that there's significant things God wants to do in our church. And I believe worship is the on-ramp. And if we miss the on-ramp, we're not going to get to where he's trying to go. I, I believe he's inviting us to be a people that are free and undignified in the way that we worship him. And if, if we catch that, thing, things will change for the better in our church. I love our church. The, I'm so, th- I got saved in this church. I've been in this church for eight years. I think we have a long way to go when it comes to worship. I want to, this is, I was so excited to preach this sermon today. Because I'm passionate about worship, and I just want us to see a people that encounter the presence of God in worship, that are free and undignified as we praise him. Why? First and foremost, because he is worthy, and that's it. He's worthy. I want to give him what he's worthy of, don't you? God is searching for worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. He's searching for worshipers. Be one of those people he's searching for. I hate when people say, I don't, I don't connect with God in worship. I hate when people say that. It's like, okay, well, then you don't love God the way that he wants you to love him. <laughs> That's what you're saying. You don't, like, you don't connect with God in worship? Well, he wants to connect with you in worship. Saying I don't connect with God in worship would be like my wife saying, I feel loved when you buy me flowers, and then I never buy her flowers once, which I've been doing a pretty bad job of that. But... Uh, this is how he, he wants to be worshipped by his people. This is the activity of heaven. There's angels praising him right now. So let's worship him. I'm going to pray for us. God, you are worthy. You are holy. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of us looking like fools to the world. You're worthy. So God, we, we want to be a people that worship you the way you, you want us to worship you. So as we just step into this second worship set, I just ask, Holy Spirit, come. Come and move. I think there's things you want to do right now. So just come. And God, I pray that you'd convict people. I think that there's people in this room that have never once put their hands up worshiping God, worshiping you. I just convict them. God, I pray that right now we'd worship you the way you ask us to worship you. Because you're worthy. In Jesus' name.